and welcome back to Opera Offstage. I'm Jesse, And I'm Michelle. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about fat phobia, which is a pretty major problem for opera, and one that we've really avoided having the bigger conversation about. But before we get into that, we've got a couple quick announcements. Yeah, if you haven't already, we would really appreciate it if you guys left us a review on the Apple Podcast app. This allows new listeners to find us more easily and get the word out about um, the different things that we speak about. And also, you know, we're just really excited about this Issues in Opera series. We're excited to bring some light to things that I think the public at large doesn't like to talk about or doesn't want to face. So. We want to hear more about the topics that you guys are interested in hearing about. So our DMs are always open. You can send us an email through our website. And of course, if you're not already following us on Instagram and Facebook, you can find us at Opera Offstage. But as we were kind of thinking about different things to discuss, Justin and I definitely felt that fat phobia in 2020 and in opera is just, it's not right. It's never been right. And we're here to kind of overview why we think fat phobia might still be so prevalent in 2020. We're looking at a couple of different artists who have shared their thoughts and their experiences with fat phobia in the opera industry. And then a couple things that we can do to make the places that we already perform in a safer space for everybody. Absolutely. And I think the only way to start is to ask the question, why is opera still so fat phobic in 2020? And I will say this, I think the most frequent excuse I hear for it is the cost of costuming. That is almost always what I hear when people want to avoid the larger issue and say like, well, it's actually a money thing. But I think one of the articles we read while we were researching for this kind of gave away that that doesn't really make sense because I don't remember Pavarotti ever getting dropped for being too big. I don't remember anyone refusing to change the size of his costumes or his tuxes. And Pavarotti, I believe by one article, said he got up to 400 pounds. Yeah. I also feel like when you get to a certain level, all of these, a lot of these costumes are perhaps not custom made, but obviously can be altered. And so the idea that costuming is the issue is not really the right thing to look at it's not really a great excuse to use and in instances I mean there is some truth to this I mean when you look at even just like formal wear and business attire for plus sizes there's not a lot or as many options as there are for very slim figures right so while this is an issue using that as the excuse as to why fat phobia exists is not really looking at the right issue at least in my opinion Yeah, I guess the other thing you have to question is, like, is that circular logic? Do we have a larger collection of small costumes because we keep casting small people? Yeah. That problem doesn't really solve itself by simply saying, well, we're going to keep casting small people because we previously cast small people. It doesn't really work. Right. But I agree. I mean, I'm not saying, like, money is no object for every theater. There is obviously stuff like that we have to take into account, but... There's no real solution within that idea of like, well, we're just going to keep casting skinny people because that's all the costumes we have. Like, surely we are able to adjust and invent. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And when I bring up Pavarotti, it's not that I want people to fat shame Pavarotti, but that leads into the next important thing, which is a lot of this stuff is sexist. And we're going to talk a little bit later about typecasting and how it affects men too, but largely men don't face the same type of fat phobia that women do. 
men can get away with a lot more than than women can on the stage. Yeah, and I think the interesting thing that we see with very successful singers is that sometimes these fat phobic casting directors, these houses, only want to make exceptions when they feel that that singer is of exceptional talent. And that doesn't really solve the issue. I mean, you might look at it and say, well, you know, they casted this person in an unconventional role, so we're making progress. But if the exception is only for those people and is only for, like, A-list stars, that's not really representation. Well, yeah, because then you get into this larger issue of the fact that by the time you get to those upper levels, so many people have left because they simply were not getting cast. They couldn't get work. Exactly. The barrier to entry is so much higher at that point. Absolutely. I think another major part of it is, I'm going to use these terms together, but ableism and healthism, I think a lot of it stems around the ignorance of what invisible illnesses look like. I have a lot of family members with invisible illnesses that affect their body. Some people are naturally fat. Some people have invisible illnesses. And the ignorance of all of that and the assumption of why anyone is fat is a pretty toxic culture. But on top of that, there is this idea that being healthy is a moral standing. Like, and it's, it's an incorrect conflation. It's making a lot of presumptions about someone else's life. And the fact is, you just don't know. Yeah, absolutely. I know a lot of, you know, people with larger figures who eat and exercise and are very healthy people. And then I know a lot of, like, really skinny people who, like, eat McDonald's every day and, like, do not make healthy life choices. So, you know, you can't look at somebody and then just assume their lifestyle. It just doesn't work that way. You just don't know. And that presumption is, is hurtful. It's harmful to people and their health, ultimately. Definitely. Yeah, I think just kind of this idea of the public perception has become a very difficult issue because we're all aware of what is considered beautiful by modern day standards. And I think that leads into things like, you know, opera film. And a lot of people use the excuse that, you know, opera is a visual art form. So therefore, the people need to look the part. But what what does that mean? You know what I mean? That in and of itself already has all of these assumptions on what a leading lady, on what a hero should look like, on what, you know, mom type characters should look like, what villains should look like. Mom casting could be its own topic. Yeah. And I think this has to do a lot with the sexualization and the desexualization of larger figured people. Why can't we have a larger Mimi or a larger Carmen? Like, why do they have to be these modern ideals? It should not be shocking to anyone that fat people fall in love and fat people have sex. That is not a new concept in the world. And it's bizarre that we find we're so afraid to put it on stage. Like, people fall in love with all types of people. What the heck? I know. God forbid, you know, that like two people fall in love that have different body types. God forbid that doesn't happen. Oh, that doesn't exist. Never, never happened in the <laughs> what are you the talking about? Time. Yeah. Like, geez, Louise, <laughs> like, how, how stupid on. do we think people are? Do you think an audience really can't, is going to be so, uh, I can't. 
I can't. It's it's yeah. also, you know what, it's demeaning to audiences to sit there and be like, well, unless we have two entirely conventionally attractive people, there's no way we can put this production on. Like, what a ridiculous thing. Uh, and I think this got a lot worse when we started filming operas. I think we started to open up. In the same way when they started filming political debates, I think suddenly uh, appearance took on a whole new meaning when film came around. And especially when we started filming performances. Absolutely. I mean, you know, all of the beauty standards that are inherent with film, they're like then caused an issue in opera. It is very interesting to watch how that influences it. But I think perhaps the one of the roots of this problem is that we are now entering an era where the figure of somebody, the way they appear, is more important than the musical choices and the talent of the voice. And once it's no longer or less about the music, we have lost the heart of opera. And I think that has a huge part of this whole issue. Yeah. I mean, I would never go and hear an opera where the person can't sing. <laughs> that's that's just the long and short of it. It doesn't matter how good you look. I want to hear good singing. Yeah. And so when you put appearance over ability, I was about to say you end up with a Netflix film, but that's a bit unfair. <laughs> It should always be, at the end of the day, about the music. Yeah. The jobs should go to the people who can sing the hell out of the role. And I feel like so much of the people who are like, well, you know, this singer is overweight, so why would she be the leading lady? It's it, At the end of the day, being sexy doesn't always have to do with your body. It has to do with your energy. It has to do with the way that you command people and take the stage you know so just to discount somebody based off what they look like is just kind of stupid i have a lot of fat singers in my life and let me tell you every one of them lives their life as the main character there you go they do so yeah it's it's just bizarre to me and i think you know i brought up that it intersects with ableism but there's also some inherent racism to fat phobia a lot of the ideas we have about a healthy body and everything come from uh, a period of time where people were specifically building boundaries to exclude other races. It's important that we also pay attention to the way that fat phobia intersects with these other issues. Yeah. But to kind of sum up a, a lot of this, a lot of fat phobia is based on incorrect assumptions about other people's lives and other people's bodies and what they do with them. But I think one of the best ways you can understand some of this is to look at some of the singers we know now and how it has affected them. Because it's shocking <laughs> how many singers we know as just like incredible singers that had pushback because of their weight. I, one of the most famous examples is Deborah Voigt, who in 2004, 2003, had her contract ended with the Royal Opera House because she, once again, could not fit into a black dress. That was made for Ariadne. You're telling me that no one at the Royal Opera House can make a larger black dress? <laughs> Excuses! I just, I can't imagine that. Like, of all the places you could say that, the Royal Opera House. And by the way, their their whole thing about it was, somebody said that they were sad that the the reasoning for the firing had become public. And I was like, why? Because it reflects badly on you? <laughs> 100%. Yeah. But even worse than that, I when I was looking this up, because that was the incident I knew about, turns out back in 1996, she came in to audition for 
Tristan and Isolde. And the conductor told her, that was beautiful. You'd be a great Isolde. And then turns around and says, why are you so fat? Is it the food? If you lose weight by the time I see you for Beethoven's Ninth, you can have the job. Yikes. Here's the real kicker. That wasn't even for a staged show. That was for a CD recording. Come on. What? I mean, pardon my language, but what the fuck? (laughs) It's just disgusting. You know, because really? I mean, first of all, like, regardless of whether or not it's for a CD recording of an opera, that's just, A, wrong. But when you have the idea that, like, literally her, like, nobody's appearance matters at all because it's a recording, that's just... That's just too much. Absolutely nutty. And I think the other thing that kind of gets me, so she does eventually, she decided eventually that she wanted to get gastric bypass surgery, which once again, I'm not here to judge what people decide to do with their bodies. But then when she lost the weight, people started saying her voice lost quality. What is wrong with you people? (laughs) You won't cast her when she's large, but when she loses weight, suddenly her voice isn't as good. And you know, I can't say what a gastric bypass would do to your voice or do to your ability to like expand your chest. I don't know. I don't actually know physically how that would maybe change your body. But at the same time, like damned if you do, damned if you don't at that point. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just difficult because I think that this is something that is huge in opera and performing in general. We have this idea, especially for young singers, that their career cannot start. Their, like, worthiness as an artist cannot start until they lose weight. There are a bunch of things that are inherently wrong with that. But aside from that, should they choose to lose weight so often, we put so much value on losing weight and we don't care about the means that we to, to get there, right? To lose the weight. Oh, yeah. We don't care if they're actually, you know, doing it for yeah. themselves or if they're doing it in a healthy way. Like, as long as it happens. As long as the pounds are gone, there's, you know, you're congratulated. And that's wrong because if you're going to lose weight, then it's really, really important that you lose it healthfully because, you know, if you decide to lose weight, you're not going to keep it off if you do it in a you know some crazy absurd crash diet right but more than that of course of course your vocal cords of course your voice is going to suffer if you're doing something unhealthy right like if you lose 60 pounds in a short amount of time that is a huge strain on your body I mean, of course you're going to have vocal issues. Your body is just a different body than it was and had no time to balance to a new lifestyle, had no time to just adjust to such extreme weight loss. It's just it's unfair for people to then be like, I you need to lose the weight. And then you do something to try to appease them and then be like, well, your voice doesn't sound the same. It's like, what is that? There's tons of arguments about how effectively people can even lose and keep off weight. And I'm not getting into that because I'm not a scientist. But the presumption that everyone can lose weight, the presumption that, like, losing weight is always a good thing, like, there's a there's just a lot of problems wrapped up in that. And once again, if you decide that that's what you want to do, I'm a very much a person who's like, I'm not going to choose what other people do with their bodies. Yeah. But yeah, the... It, That's the funny thing is they come at it from the angle of, well, you'll be so much healthier, but they don't really care how you lose it. Yeah, it's very rough. And, you know, one of the first things I was told, it was sophomore year of college and I was at young artist program. And 
one of the first things I was told in like one of my little individual breakout meetings was you're so lucky that your body matches your voice. Hmm. And I'm aware of that fact. Like I'm, I know that I look like <laughs> my voice, but what a shame that there are singers who are just as good, if not better than me, who have voices similar to mine, who will not get cast because, because of their weight. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's crazy. And typecasting affects everybody, but we'll get into that. Yeah. While we were doing this, I actually didn't know that Lisette Oropesa used to be fat. She had lost roles because she was fat. I've only very recently kind of gotten into listening to her recordings, and she's got an incredible masterclass series on Instagram and on Zoom. So check that out. But she talked about growing up, she was fat, and that her teachers used to tell her, like, your weight is keeping you from getting certain roles. She is very interesting, too, because th- she really pinned it down. She's like, it's not just the casting directors. It's the fact that whenever they do cast larger bodies in these roles, that the critics and the audience push back. Yeah. And especially the critics. There was even a very recent version of this. So I think it was 2014. There was a mezzo who sang at Glyndebourne. And so mezzo-soprano Tara Arot, I believe is how you say it, But she was singing Octavian. And uh, here are some of the comments, which, by the way, universally written by men. (laughs) Just throwing it out there. One called her a chubby bundle of puppy fat, but that it was gloriously sung. Another one says, it's hard to imagine this stocky Octavian as willowy woman's plausible lover. Another one says that she was dumpy of stature. Another one says, unbelievable, unsightly, and unappealing. Which, by the way, um, none of those are about her voice. No. Not a not a single thing. Uh, several of these didn't actually talk about her voice in the, those at all. Some of them later went on to say that, of course, she's an incredible singer, you know, in between. But that is to say that it is not just directors and music directors who are causing the problem. There is also a, a real issue with the critics of opera who can't seem to focus on what the music is actually about. Yeah, it's just, you know, this is a tough topic because... It really does require a lot of reflection from everybody involved in art, right? From the directors to the artists to to the companies to the audience to the critics. It's just something that we need to work on as a whole. And so it is difficult to see when you do have these really great examples of inclusion and then they're still met with pushback. It's a difficult situation. Yeah, and I guess that one is a particularly interesting case to me because I I don't know anything about that role that has any reason where it would have to be someone skinny. There's nothing about that role that makes me think, oh, well, it it, it just it bothers the heck out of me. And I guess the other the other upsetting thing is Lisette Oropesa did end up deciding to lose weight. She's a a very much a runner. <laughs> She's run a lot of marathons. Yeah, and it's definitely improved her career. Like that there that's indisputable. But the other thing is that it's not like her voice changed. Some people say that she mm-hmm. she's a worse singer now that she's skinny, which is also dumb. You don't become a worse singer because you get smaller. So there's a quote in the Seattle Times, actually, that says, Opera offers a cruel paradox. The plots are full of teenage priestesses, frail courtesans, and lovelorn virgins. But singing most of those roles demands not only vocal maturity, and singers usually hit their prime in their 40s, but also a voice big enough to project unamplified to the farthest reaches of our vast opera houses. This is not work for a 90-pound weakling. Pardon? 90-pound opera singers can't sing? Excuse you, what about all those 10-year-olds people keep sending me from talent competitions? (laughs) But beyond that... Oh, God. That's also not correct. 
small people can still amplify. That's also wrong. <laughs> you can't sit here and tell me that smaller people like, say, Kristen Chenoweth can't sing. Like, don't, don't. You're really making this an impossible thing because it's, if you're large, then you're too large to cast. And then if you lose weight, well, suddenly your voice isn't as good. Like, there's a lot of bad science in opera. I'll say that. We have it in our nutrition spaces. We have it in our pedagogy. There's a lot of bad science that goes around in our community. <sighs> yeah. Well, there's a lot of science, <laughs> bad science, literally, that exists to push certain agendas, you know? Yeah. So, but, yeah. I mean, it. Lisette Oropesa is a very interesting figure because, you know, she made the decision for herself to lose weight. She lost the weight over the course of five years, which I don't know the details in which and how she lost the weight. But you can hear her talk about how she lives a very healthy lifestyle. And, you know, to me, losing weight over five years is definitely a more healthy approach than trying to lose it in less than a year. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing is they want you to lose it before a production. And that's just simply not not a viable thing. No, it's not a healthy choice. But it is it's it's interesting because she has seen a lot of success. She made the decision. Right. So there at least is a tiny bit of power in that. It's unfortunate that she still encountered so much pushback early on to, you know, have that pressure to lose it. But, you know. It's a little bit better of a scenario that she lost it healthfully. In the same way, you don't get to judge people who are large. You don't get to judge people who do decide that they want to lose weight. Like, once again, the point of this is that when you make those kinds of decisions, you do them for yourself. Mostly, it's not making presumptions about other people's bodies. But I do think that Oropesa does a good thing by pushing back on the very thing that kind of made her do it. She was like, I had to do this for my career. But she says, even in this article, it's from a website called Voice of American News. But I, she pushes back on this idea that anyone should have to do that. And she says, body shaming is not acceptable. And she says how much she hates hearing people say, oh, I'm so glad you're not fat like so-and-so. Because they feel like they're entitled to say things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that is the other part of it that is that's nice to know about her is that she's still pushing back on the idea that any of that was necessary. Even though she feels good about the change she made for herself, she still says, like, it's kind of ridiculous that it ever affected my career. Yeah. Which I think is the nitty gritty of it is the fact that it's actually impeding people from being able to do their job. Yeah. I mean, there are also people on the other side who have found success and were able to make, you know, a different set of decisions. And that. There's nothing wrong with them. They're just different decisions that ultimately worked out for them. You know, fabulous mezzo-soprano Stephanie Blythe kind of sits in the other camp in that she hasn't had crazy weight loss stories and has still been able to perform leading roles. And something that she says in an interview is she says, if you bring weight into a conversation, all of a sudden that's the issue. If someone wants to take a chance and cast me in a role that is unconventional physically for me, I applaud them. They recognize the fact that I can probably bring something to the role. When I was given Orfeo at the Met, you could have knocked me over. I have seen people who are half my size do the role and look the part and not inhabit the part. The first time I sang Carmen, I was terrified that I would walk on stage and people would go, ha ha ha. But that's not what they did. You go on and offer people what you can. If they like it, they like it. And if they don't, they don't. I would like to take this moment to say how much I love Stephanie Blythe. <laughs> I have met her a couple times over the years. I adore her. 
I adore her personality and her no-nonsense attitude. But she's also my Meryl Streep in that I could watch her play any role and she could convince me. Just unbelievable performer. Absolutely. And I think that that's kind of what comes with the weird desexualization of, you know, plus-sized women. That's just not true. You know, sexuality is so much more than just your size and being sexy on stage has so much to do with stage presence, really inhabiting the role and bringing something unique to it. It's equally an energy thing. You know, Stephanie Blythe's Carmen was probably sexy as heck. The real question there is how many Stephanie Blythe's have we missed out on? Yeah. Because they simply can't get enough work to sustain staying in this field. Yeah. And I think this, you know, she touches on this a little bit. And I think the deeper sentiment when she says, you know, I applaud people when they take a risk on me. I think the deeper kind of issue there is we need to stop looking at them as risks. You see this a lot with, you know, plus sized models. They're constantly told that they're brave for wearing swimsuits. They're brave for wearing crop tops and all of these things. And, you know, I don't think that looking at them I don't think that they like to be looked at as brave right they should just be able to wear what they want yeah like that shouldn't be some act of defiance there's an uh, an unintentional barb in there when you say like oh you're so brave to wear that that inherently means that they shouldn't be wearing it and the fact that they are is like an act of defiance and you're like ooh, wow you're wearing a bathing suit and your body is like that wow you're really brave That's not right. I hate that. I mean, I think that, you know, when people say that, that might come from a place of trying to be supportive of, you know, like, wow, you get your you're empowered enough to wear what you want. That's really brave because other people don't feel that way. It has to do with how we talk about these issues. It has to do with how we talk about our bodies and how we talk about other people's bodies. We'll get to that a little bit later. But, you know, the way that you talk about people, no matter how well-intentioned it is, you have to do your research on how to talk about these issues. And I think that whole idea that, like, you'd have to be brave to cast somebody in something or somebody's brave to do something kind of leads us into one of those major issues, which is the, the presumptions about who plays what role. And that gets into typecasting. And typecasting we're going to go a little broader than just fat phobia and talk about body shaming in general. And we're going to talk a little bit about the male issues on this as well, which brings me to one of Michelle's least favorite topics in all of opera, which is the era of the Barra hunk. <laughs> I, I hate it. Hypersexualizing people is also is not the answer. No. And there came about like with the rise of filming operas and everything that, There were just a lot of shirtless, very fit men on stage. Another thing that you see kind of come out of this is a lack of shorter men playing roles, which was weird. But especially this is like uh, baritones and basses, but baritones especially play a lot of evil roles. And I kind of stopped seeing short men being cast in evil roles, which is a weird thing. But I guess there's this idea that you can't be short and intimidating, which is untrue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that there's a fat phobia issue, but I think the real umbrella with which that falls under is just this idea of body shaming in opera, right? There's always issues with people's bodies, you know? Too tall, and too short, too fat, too skinny. Yeah. All of it. Exactly. And it's just everybody's got an issue with something. You know, it's really hard when we talk about typecasting because it really does affect everybody. 
obviously some more than others, you know, short tenors still get work. Fat phobia is definitely the most pressing of those issues. Absolutely. But, you know, the fact that it's an issue for most artists, it's something that we need to, to really look at and change. And yeah, the whole bear hunk era, I mean, I still feel that it's alive and well. Oh, yeah. Um, the idea that these hyper-masculine, the super macho guys have to be the love interest is just not really, It's not. that's not the move. Well, it's not you even know? fair to the people who fit in that category because not everyone wants to be half undressed on stage. Yeah. You know, Nadine Sierra had to be in a bikini on stage and she was super uncomfortable with that. And she's a slim person. But the idea of being like not having clothes on stage is going to make anybody nervous, you know? And so it's just like, I don't know, costuming is its whole other thing. But like, yeah, the idea of, you know, all these shirtless men and these really skimpily costumed women just for the sake of sexualization is not right yeah i i think this is a good time to mention that we did get followed by like a bdsm opera account (laughs) there's there's something for everybody (laughs) productions for everyone but yeah sexuality in opera there's definitely a lot of sex in opera but there's also a lot of sexuality put on roles that aren't inherently that way which is kind of interesting that's definitely something that can go either way for me because I'm always pro better representations of sexuality, but I'm not necessarily pro forcing sexiness onto a character to sell it. Yeah. So when I was in grad school, the head of Lyric Theater Illinois, which at UIUC is the our school theater, is headed up by Nathan Gunn and Julie Gunn. And anyone who knows Nathan Gunn knows that he is pretty much stereotypically cast in Barahunk roles. Like, even if you just Google him, half of the roles you'll see him in are shirtless. But one of the things he brought up, and so did Julie, was the fact that, like, when he used to do press work, they would always ask about it. And it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. That's creepy. You don't want to be asked constantly about your body. You don't want your sexuality to be the only reason people are paying attention. Yeah. People don't go into opera to talk about their figure. Regardless of what your figure is. I mean, it's very dehumanizing. Absolutely. I mean, hopefully when you are done with an opera and the press is interviewing you, they, you want them to ask intelligent questions about your musical choices, about your dramatic choices, about your interpretation of the opera and the role, not about the fact that you were shirtless and they thought you looked good. Yeah, and I think it's when you gross. talk about typecasting in general, you get into this major issue of the fact that, like, The people that come to mind when you typecast are almost always skinny, white, and able-bodied, even though they don't have to be. Yeah. I mean, you see so much typecasting for mezzos in general as well, as we kind of touched on. You know, I feel like there's the three camps of mezzos, unfortunately. You're either a Carmen in the traditional mass media type sense. You're a young boy in which they expect you to be very androgynous, skinny, you know, stick, or you're the mom. And if they cast you as the mom, they usually, for whatever reason, in their minds, you have to be heavier set and look old. Yeah. And this is, it's just ridiculous. But here's the thing. Like, even then, if you're a certain body type, you're going to get closed out from those other areas. Yeah. Those are all kind of, in the world of typecasting, three distinct body types. And that's bizarre. That's unnecessary. Yeah. I mean... 
you know, it's really hard for people who traditionally fall into the young boy mezzo camp to be taken seriously as a Carmen, you know, and vice versa. Because, you know, young, thicker boys don't exist. There's no young, thick boys. Right? That's not a thing. A young boy must always be nubile and... Wow, I hate that. So skinny. You've turned, <laughs> you've turned my words against me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. It's just very interesting. I feel like our mezzos especially have it... Have it rough. Have it hard. Yeah. Yeah, and like lower voices in general, for some reason, are all just older characters. You're either a young boy or you're old. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, even something as silly as height. Nobody wants to cast a tall soprano next to a short tenor. Nobody likes the shorter, lower voices. You know what I mean? It's just there's so many ridiculous standards Yeah, are put upon us. And it's just like... You know, when you're doing something like magic flute, does it really matter? This bird man isn't convincing because he's too short. But I'm going to take it back. I'm going to retract what I just said because that's, once again, what I was about to say is missing the point once again. It doesn't matter if you're in, in an opera where the audience has this high level of suspension of disbelief. If you're doing an opera about real people, about whatever, that's just in the modern world, you should be able to look like what you look like. Right? Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter. It, it's Once again, it goes back to the Stephanie Blythe thing that she said. If I can bring something to the role and I can sing the heck out of it, you know, they're going to like it or they're not. And at that point, it's on them. At the end of the day, you just have to be the artist that you are and bring what you can to the role itself. And typecasting just makes everything so unnecessarily messy. Yeah. It's, once again, too many assumptions being made and not enough attention being paid to the actual talent and skill that people are bringing to the stage. Yeah. This ultimately leads us into the important part of this conversation, which is, it's great to talk about this, but what do we actually do? And I think there are a lot of ways that we as individual singers can start to make opera a more welcoming space for everyone. One option is obviously extra training in terms of sensitivity to these kinds of things and that goes for pretty much everything we could all be better about our language around racism sexism gender issues fat phobia but that's not always possible that is obviously predicated on having people who are well trained and having the money to hire those people so outside of that what you can do for yourself is start to learn and use the terminology put forward by people who do know what they're talking about. So one example of this is Tracy Cox, who is a soprano, an operatic soprano and an award-winning one at that, and also a fat activist. So she is on Instagram and she's actually been posting questions to people about their experiences in music as fat people. So follow her. Her handle is at Sparkle Jams and on Twitter it's at Tracy Cox, T-R-A-C-Y C-O-X. But she will help walk you through. Because, for example, for a long time, I thought you shouldn't use the word fat, which is probably why throughout this, I've probably used fat and larger bodied together. One of the things that you learn is that fat should be used because they are trying to make the point that it is not a word with bad connotations in and of itself. It is a neutral descriptor. And that's not something I would have known had I not been following her and learning from her what the best terminology is, how to broach some of these conversations. Yeah. I think, you know, 
in light of Black Lives Matter, there has been <laughs> a, a fire under all of us to really educate ourselves on the way that we speak and use our language effectively and respectfully and correctly. And I think we need to use that same idea and put that to practice when talking about things, really any sort of issue, right? And it was interesting because as we were doing our research for this episode and reading through countless articles to find different information and viewpoints, it's very interesting because you can easily read articles talking about how fat phobia is bad and bad in opera, and yet they still don't use good terminology. For example, I was reading an article about, you know, the issue of fat shaming in opera by the Seattle Times. And I really, I think that they made some really great points that I was like, yes, that's a really great way to put it into words. But then it was also peppered with all of this bad language. And so you kind of have to educate yourself on what that sounds like and the root behind it. And then kind of proceed with caution. And I have a couple examples that we can kind of discuss. But one of the things that they were talking in reference to Stephanie Blythe was they say, in the previous production of Carmen, the undeniably heavy mezzo-soprano Stephanie Blythe has proven to be one of those exceptional voices who more than justifies a little suspension of audience disbelief. Let's just uh, unpack that for a second. The larger context of this segment that I just read is talking about, you know, a different singer in a different role and people were all upset that she was a a larger woman playing this role that's not traditionally played by her body type. And then they use Stephanie Blythe as a positive. But once again, when we keep coming back to, oh, she has such an exceptional voice, we can just, you know, forget about the fact that she's fat. Yeah. Right? Well, there's that that's idea That's not again. the point. Which is like they are yeah. in tacit in the way that they phrase this is this idea that they approve of it, that they are like, well, yeah, we're fine with the idea that a fat soprano would have to be, you know, or in this case, a fat mezzo soprano would have to be, you know, three times as good in order to play the role. Yeah. But why? But the other thing is like we're hopefully trying to move towards the idea that there sh doesn't need to be suspension of disbelief, right? We're hopefully trying to move towards a point where culturally, like, these people don't have to be brave or they don't, directors don't have to be taking a risk yeah. for casting these larger body types, right? It's just that idea of, like, the suspension of disbelief. Like, it's unbelievable that people in fat bodies are attractive. Like, that's not a, a groundbreaking idea. That's actually how reality works. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't really matter if you personally don't feel that way. I don't care. The fact is, is it happens and it exists in the world. Yeah. And I think, you know, the quote that you read earlier, Jesse, about, you know, opera offers a cruel paradox. We have all of these people who need to project across vast opera houses. And then they say, this is not work for a 90 pound weakling. This is another kind of <sighs> misuse of argument and language and that to make your point that fat singers have and deserve a place on the stage, you shouldn't be arguing that point by tearing other people down. Yeah. Like, the 90-pound weakling really rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, don't shame people just because they exist in a different body than you, no matter what it looks like. Yeah. And I think that's easy to do because there is obviously in our career and in our field an advantage to being skinny. 
So it's easy to be like, well, that person never had to grow a personality or that person never had to, you know, they don't, doesn't matter what they eat, blah, 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 blah. Like, don't make assumptions about other bodies, regardless. Yeah. Like I said, a lot of that is just bad science, too. The other things that, like, we can do is, for example, listen to people's experiences and believe them. When people tell you that they feel like they got closed out of an opportunity because of their body, listen to them, hear them out, understand where they're coming from. Yeah, this is really important. And, you know, this has to do with, you know, everybody's experience with different different types of prejudice, right? If somebody, if a black singer is telling you, I don't think I got this opportunity because of this. If a woman is telling you, I don't think I got this opportunity because of this. If, you know, a fat person tells you, I don't think I got this opportunity because of this, you should listen to them and give them the benefit of the doubt if that's not your experience, you know, you you are not in the right to tell them, well, I don't know why you think that because X, Y, or Z. Just listen. We would all love to live in a meritocracy where people are rewarded for how hard they work and how good they are. And that is just not what we live in at all. I mean, even all of these articles we just read just talked about how much it's based on things that are not within our control. Absolutely. Yeah. So honestly, listening over talking is just a big issue when somebody's sharing their personal experience with you. That's huge. Don't presume when somebody tells you about the problems being caused by an industry that is unfair in many ways, that they are looking to change their body to better fit that industry. Don't ever presume that. Yeah. Because you are inherently saying, well, yeah, everything would be better if your body was different. Which is not the point we should be looking to make. The point we should be looking to make is to make everybody acceptable on a stage. Yeah. You should be questioning the industry, not your friends. Yeah. And this, you know, like, once again, you just have to be careful and educate yourself on the right way to talk to people. Because even something as seemingly innocent as, wow, you look really great. You look like you've lost some weight. You don't know what sort of mental state that person is in. You don't know what their relationship is to their body is you don't know what they're doing when you're not with them and so even just saying something like that puts emphasis and causes anxiety for for people regardless of body type that you're just judging and surveying their body at all times and that you noticed that they've lost weight and that that somehow is something to be like applauded when it's just like there are so many other compliments that you could give and the other thing is like when you're going to give a musician a compliment compliment them on their music (laughs) not their body heck even compliment them on what they chose to wear yeah it's great to tell people that they look good but also pair that with the comment about them as a person and them as an artist yeah and also within that is if you are deciding to diet exercise any of those things watch how you talk about that with other people it's fine to share your health goals and things like that but be careful about the way you're talking about it it, it once again, it really all falls into this idea of like the presumption that a smaller body is always better. Yeah, that's not true. I think everybody has their own ideal weight and that exists within such a wild spectrum, you know, and so everybody's just trying to figure out their healthiest self and that completely looks different for everybody. Yeah. And I think that also comes around to how you deal with your friends, you know, make sure you Talk to your friends about the way they talk about things, too. Like, don't get let them get away with comments like, oh, I can't believe they'd cast her in a romantic role or I don't can't believe they'd cast him as a hero. Like, 
question your friends, question the way they talk about things. You don't have to attack them or anything, but make sure you're unpacking this stuff with yourself too. Absolutely. Yeah. It's definitely important to be able to identify these sorts of issues and be able to have those hard conversations, those uncomfortable conversations, because ultimately, like we kind of touched on earlier, to get past an issue like body shaming really relies on the participation of everybody involved in the art that's happening, from the people on stage to backstage to in the audience. We need to be having this type of conversation with everyone if we expect or hope to see any change. So definitely calling it out when you see it is very important. I think the thing to take away from this is don't presume things about other people's bodies and what they do with them. And be a part of what makes opera a better space for everyone to get on stage. Because it is a shame that we lose out on so much talent because it is cut so early on for reasons that don't make sense in our art form at all. I would rather lose out roles to people who are better singers than know I won because I exist in a small body. 100%. And for any of our listeners who are fat or larger or however else you like to identify, just know that we want you here. We want you out here performing. We want to see what you have and we want to keep cheering you on. There's a lot going on in this episode. So If you have anything you'd like us to know, whether that's your experience or what we can do to better make this a space for everyone or, you know, what we said wrong in this episode, please reach out to us. We are happy to hear from you. We are open to criticism because we know we're tackling hard issues. We know we're going to be wrong. And the whole point of this is to open up the community to discussion and get everybody on the same page. So please, please reach out to us. We are at Opera Offstage on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Or you can reach us on our website, which is opera-offstage.com. But we love to hear from you guys, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.